tonight, friends, we begin episode three of our series to kick off the year entitled God First. This series is meant to position us on the right trajectory to give us the right pace and the right vision as a church and as a people of God for 2024. If you were with us in the past couple weeks, you know that last week we looked at God first with your time. The first week of the series we looked like, what does it look like to have God's kingdom first? And tonight for episode three, we're going to be talking about how do we put God first with our influence How do you put God first with the influence that you have? Now, we are all very aware that we live in an influencer culture. In fact, Miami has kind of become the city of influencers, predominantly Brickle. Brickle is like influencer heaven. You walk around, you're going to see the selfie in the air like, hey, what's up, my friends? You're going to see it. It's everywhere. Vlogging, all types of influencers in our city. Now, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you, and be bold, okay? Be bold here. Raise your hand if you consider yourself an influencer. Raise your hand. Okay. We have about three, okay? I'm going to challenge you tonight, every one of you, to have a different view of yourself. And here's what I mean by that. I want you to think of yourself, not the person next to you, Not one of the three people that raised their hands. Not the person in front of you or behind you, but you. I want you to see yourself as an influencer. And that's the whole message of this evening. What God's word calls us to believe is that we are, in fact, an influencer. Now, it's hard for us to understand that and to believe that. And the reason that we didn't have every single person in the room raise their hand is because culture has hijacked what it means to be an influencer. It's made it a position or a title that we give to certain people that have or possess certain things. And so I was trying to understand what exactly do we as a society believe an influencer is? How would we define what an influencer is? And so what I did was I asked ChatGPT. And ChatGPT told me exactly what we believe an influencer is. Ready? An influencer is a person who has the ability to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with their audience. Influencers often have a high level of trust with their audience, and they can leverage this trust to market products or services. Influencers are often found on social media, like Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. This is what an influencer is. And I think as I was reading it, you probably be like, yeah, that's why I didn't raise my hand. I'm not on there. I don't have a huge following. I'm not leveraging my account to, you know, promote services. I'm not making any money off of social media. All I want is a blue check mark, and I can't get it. I don't know how to get it. I think you can buy it now, actually. So you can buy yourself as an influencer. That's awesome. But here's what essentially an influencer is. It's someone that is capable... It's what we believe, at least. It's someone that is capable of leveraging their platform to generate wealth for themselves or their business partners. It is someone that has a certain degree of authority given to them, a platform they've been placed on or they've built themselves that they can use to make money, 
to promote service. This does not mean that influencers, as we define them or think of them culturally, don't care about the products or they don't care about the things they're marketing. But predominantly, what people believe an influencer is is someone that leverages their platform and their authority to generate wealth, to make money. Really, an influencer has moved from a position of leadership and something that involves stewardship to really something that's just found in the marketplace and celebrity culture. An influencer is someone that can use their celebrity status, however large or small it may be, to affect the market. It's not about leadership and it's not about stewardship anymore. Really, being an influencer is, has become centered around what you offer more than who you are. It's what you offer. And we all know that because I think most of us in this room, we follow influencers of different types because they offer us something. So maybe you have influencers that you follow because of their expertise, their knowledge. They are financial influencers. They're health and wellness. They're makeup influencers. And they have an expertise in something that you care about, and so you follow them because they offer you something. Maybe they just offer leisure, a break, uh, to get away from it all. I mean, I think that's why Mr. Beast is like the largest influencer in the world, because he offers 10-minute videos of leisure. Maybe you have someone that you follow that offers you kind of niche conversations that you can't find anywhere else. You don't have enough people in your life to talk to you about cars or about where is the city of Atlantis. And that's my thing. And I know where it is. It's in the Western Sahara. That's where it was. If you want to know about it, talk to me after, okay? Maybe it's just niche stuff that you're interested in. And so you find and follow people that have those same curiosities. And they offer something to you. Maybe they offer political or cultural insight. And so you follow their podcast because they offer you something. You see, what's happened is that being an influencer has become more about your competence in an area than your character. See, influence has become an asset. It's something that you can cultivate, something that you can build upon your platform and the authority that's given to you. It's not really a byproduct of someone's nature or their character. And what God's word wants to say to us tonight is that you are an influencer. And it's not about what you offer. It's about who you are. It's about the character that you have. It's not about your competence. It's about who you are. You've been given platforms and positions and privilege and people in your life to influence. And God, God has a lot to say about it. In fact, Jesus speaks very openly on influence in a very famous passage in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been working through in this series. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5 tonight starting in verse 13 through 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn it in Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen behind me. And Jesus is going to tell us that we're to center ourselves on who we are, not what we possess. Who we are, because that is what we possess and where true influence comes from. So here's what God's word says to us, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, in his most famous sermon, says the following. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, the problem in our culture is that influence kind of begins and it starts with a platform. And so going back to raising your hands, maybe you thought, I don't have a platform. I'm not big on social media. I don't have this certain level of status in my career. I just don't have the platform with the status and the authority. And so therefore, I don't consider myself an influencer. I don't have that position platform or authority and so I don't have anything to offer that would be of great influence. I want to kind of tell you a story about me in college my senior year. Some of you know that I became a Christian in college. I became a Christian my freshman year of college and it was a very interesting road for me because I had two friends groups right away. I had my newfound Christian friends, and then I had my non-Christian friends. And there's a, a big theological word that is often used in the church, and it's the word sanctification. And that word means to become more like Jesus. And my college experience was a, a journey of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, but it was tough navigating that. And a new Christian with a lot of questions and two different friend groups, and it was a tumultuous journey of becoming like Jesus. My sophomore year of college, I felt called to be a pastor. I'd never thought this. This was a total curveball by God. And in fact, everything changed the night that I heard God call me to be a pastor. It happened at a Campus Crusade meeting. They're now called Crew. And I heard God very clearly in the way that I needed to hear it call me to be a pastor. The next morning, I changed my major. I left the business school, and I studied religion. And the reason I studied religion is because I told myself, if I'm going to dedicate my life to preaching truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, I need to know what other people claim to believe is true. So I studied Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. I went to Florida State. This was a public university. And so that was very difficult, too, because I was the only Christian in my major. Everybody else was an atheist. And if you have been in world religion, if you took that class in college or you've taken religion classes in public universities, you know there's a, a strong disdain for Christianity. And I was constantly, as a new Christian, now I'm feeling called into ministry and I'm constantly being attacked and I have no, no one with solidarity and I don't have like any theological training. I, I've not read any theological books. I'm just trying to get through these classes and get through college like everybody else. I knew that when I graduated, I was going to go to seminary, and then I would study these, you know, theological works, and I'd grow in that way. But in college, I just was kind of struggling through my faith and growing, and I had my church, and I had Campus Crusade that I attended, and that's where I made a lot of Christian friends, and I had these worlds that were pulling at me. And then my senior year, the very beginning of the senior year of, of college, the Campus Crusade staff gets in front of all of Campus Crusade at Florida State. There was about 150 people that were going at the time. And they said, listen, we have bad news. And that is all of us, all eight people that were full-time staff were leaving. 
They were being moved different places, and there was going to be no staff for Campus Crusade at all at Florida State. And they were going to shut down crew for a year. And I'm like, wait, what? So my mentors are leaving the very thing that I, I come together every week with people and where I was serving and where I made these friends. And I'm thinking not just about myself, but I'm thinking about all of the new people coming in and all of the freshmen that there's no campus crusade. There wasn't a whole bunch of ministries at Florida State. And so now there's one less. And this was like a very difficult thing to swallow. And I remember having something stir in me as they're sharing this news and they're moving within a month. And I'm like, maybe I should lead it. But then I was like, no, I can't lead it. I don't have any theological training. I'm not like the greatest example. I'm still struggling in my faith. I'm a peer. I have no like platform. I don't have any status. I mean, I have no given authority at all. But I just kept having this feeling like maybe I should lead it. And so I talked to a mentor of mine, one of the guys that was leaving, and I said, hey, listen, I don't, this sounds wild. But what if, like, I led it with a group of other people in college and we just kind of maintained it and we tried to keep it going as best we could? And I told him all my fears. I was like, I don't have any theological training. I don't have this. I don't have that. And I just started naming all the things. So, like, how can I influence people and how could I be a part of this? And he said, listen, Carter, your passion and your character is what's going to influence people. You should go for it. You don't need status and platform and all this given authority. You don't need that. It's focusing on your character, and it's sharing your passion, your heart with people. And so I was like, okay, we're going to try it, <laughs> see how this goes. And so I gathered a group of about eight people that were willing to be on the, the student staff team. And I also said, listen, hey, we're going to do things differently, because if you know me, I, I can kind of have some wild ideas at times. Not often, just sometimes. And I, had, I disagree with a lot of things that Campus Crusade was doing. So I was like, can I just like under the radar do it my own way? And, and he was like, yeah, just don't tell anyone. So like, oh, this is awesome. So I gathered the team. We had eight of us. We divided responsibilities. We had staff meetings every single week. I'm in college. And we're like, you know, going through all this stuff. And then we launched all of the programs back again together. And God started bringing in more leaders. and started taking up different responsibilities. And when I look back, here's what God did. He took that staff team of us eight, and he grew all these other leaders. We went from 150 people on Tuesday night to 500. We had Bible studies in every single dorm in Florida State, multiple off-campus Bible studies. We had evangelism every Wednesday, which was very different from the way that it was being done before. We launched a Christian men's fraternity. We did a whole bunch. It was unbelievable. And when I look back on it, it wasn't a platform that made that happen. It was people. It was first the person of the Spirit that stirred in me and gave me a conviction. Then it was my friend Scotty Smith, the mentor, who told me, you should go for it. Then it was all the people that said yes to be on the staff team, volunteer, student staff team. Then it was all the leaders that started to join and take up responsibilities and lead Bible studies and the worship team that volunteered their time that were touring musicians and said, I'll just do it for free, want to make it happen. It was the people that built a movement of the gospel and grew and people came to faith and we celebrated so many things, but it wasn't a platform. A platform was built that was influential, but it was because of people. And so I share that story with you because I want you to hear this. You don't need a platform 
to be an influencer. You can use your platform and you should. You can use your status and you should. You can use your given authority in certain arenas and you should. But influence starts with people. It starts with people. There are so many moments in your life where a hug, a listening ear, an encouraging word, a vision of hope, an expression of love can dramatically and profoundly change someone's life and you'll never know it. I like to think of our spiritual eyes as a clock and, and God is using people. He's using his word. He's using prayer. He's using all these things to tick the hour around the clock as he grows us to become more like Christ. And here's the thing. We often can look back and say, I, that big growth in me or that comfort or that change in me was because of that person, but that person may not know the influence they had. God is using us, and he has called us to be influential in people's lives, and we may never know this side of heaven, how God used you to help click the clock closer to becoming more like Jesus or leading people closer to exploring Jesus for the first time. Through a hug, through a conversation, through an expression of love. Influence starts with people. That's why Jesus says this very famous line in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He says if, you know, if a salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. You just throw it down and you trample it under your feet. You know, the interesting thing about salt is you don't see it in your food. Well, you're not supposed to unless you put it on top. But when you mix it in your food, you don't see it. It mixes in, but you taste the effect. There's a big difference between eggs that are salted and eggs that are not salted. You can taste the difference. You can, it brings out the flavor. You can feel the effect. And see, the thing about influence is it isn't always obvious. But you experience its effect. It isn't always obvious. And Jesus here says that you are the salt of the earth and you are to focus on maintaining your saltiness. Now, that's kind of confusing because if you think about salt, maybe you've thought, I've never tasted salt that's not salty. And like, I've never tasted bland salt. Because for all of our science nerds and medical people in the room, you know that sodium chloride is a stable compound and it does not dilute. Or it dilutes, but it doesn't, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. There's like no shelf life for salt. So what is Jesus talking about? Like how does salt then lose its saltiness? Well, you have to go back into how salt was gathered in the ancient Near East in the first century. It was primarily taken from salt marshes. And so when they were harvesting salt, the salt was mixed with impurities. It wasn't pure sodium chloride. And so the salt was mixed with these impurities, and the salt would dilute and dissolve faster than the impurities. And so therefore, the salt would lose its saltiness because it was mixed with impurities. You see what Jesus is saying? How does salt lose its saltiness? Impurities. How do you maintain your saltiness? by removing the impurities that want to dilute it. You are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. Jesus is saying, care for your character. 
Be careful about the impurities of the world that are going to seek to dilute the saltiness that is you. You are the salt of the earth. You want to lose flavor? You want to lose the effect? Allow all types of impurities in. And your influence will shrink. Your influence will diminish. The flavor will not be the same. And it's worthless at that point. That's why all throughout Scripture we read the following. I mean, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4. These are just a couple examples. He says, set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. This is being salty in the right way. Set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is maintaining your saltiness, is not letting the impurities dilute it so your speech or your conduct or your love or your faith or your purity is compromised, therefore affecting your influence. Jesus says that people will know us by our love, something that we demonstrate, that we show, that we reveal. In fact, when you think about the first century church that had this explosive growth, unbelievable growth, Over the first 300 plus years of the church's existence, it grew at such a pace that eventually it took over as the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it was persecuted heavily throughout that entire time. Now, when you look back at history and you read the book of Acts in the New Testament, you do not see the church growing because it built a platform. It had no platform. They were hiding in homes. They were being persecuted. Their friends were being murdered. During 70 AD, this is just roughly 40 years after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven, Nero is persecuting the church so severely that he's taking Christians, he's putting them on wooden posts, and he's lighting them on fire to light up his parties. There's no platform for the church. There's no given authority, and there's certainly no status. And yet... It grew from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria throughout the entire known Roman Empire to the ends of the earth. It went to Ethiopia. It went to India. All over the world. How? What what was the influence that was leveraged? No platform, no status, no authority. It was the people. The people who cared about maintaining their saltiness by keeping the impurities of the world out. What were they devoted to? Acts 2 tells us they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayers. They were devoted to gathering together. They were devoted to radical generosity and helping those in need. They were devoted to meeting in each other's homes and spending time together. They were devoted to showing love to others. And what did God do when they were devoted to those things? To the cultivation of their character and caring about more of who they are than what they offer. He added to their number daily. Through people who cared about their character. Who cared about their purity and their faith and their conduct and their speech and their love. Influence that changed the world. Jesus doubles down in the last part of our text in verse 14 through 16. He says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
And so they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 16, right there, what is Jesus saying? Let your light shine. Be influential, not for your own bottom line, not for your own reputation, not for your own status, not for the accumulation of anything for yourself, but why? That you may see, that people may see your good deeds, how you're living, your character, how you act, how you treat people, saltiness, and they may glorify your Father in heaven. You're influencing people by the way you act and by who you are so people might glorify God. Now this whole, you're the light of the world, a town on a hill cannot be hidden, don't hide your light under a bowl. This was also also very relevant as Jesus is preaching this sermon on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And the homes in that region were built primarily out of white limestone. And they they were built on top of hillsides. And so here's how it worked. Obviously, no electricity during this time. And so at night, when the sun went down, when families would want to spend time together, they'd have a meal together, they would get an oil lamp, and they would light the oil lamp, and they had a stand for it. And they'd put it on a stand in the middle of the room, and it would reflect and bounce off of the white limestone, illuminating the whole house. And the town itself, made out of white limestone, lit up with these oil lamps all around, would reflect off of the top of the hill. And people for miles could see these cities because of how the, white, how the light reflected off of the white limestone. And what would have been unthinkable? There's no, why would you do this? Nobody would have thought about taking a bowl and putting it over the light. Why would you dim it? You need it to illuminate everything, to cast out the darkness so that you, your family, can see and spend time together, but also so that travelers who maybe are in distress or in need can see the city and find refuge, find a place of hospitality. And so Jesus is is giving this example here as he tells us to let our light shine, and he's essentially saying it would be unthinkable to cover up the light. You're the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't hide your light. He, in fact, just says, let your light shine before others. Jesus is saying the following. The way you pursue and follow God is your influence. The way you pursue and follow God is your influence. Your pursuit of God, your devotion to God, his word, his truth, his ways, his people. This is like light reflecting off of white limestone walls that people can see for miles. It's evident when you're near it. It's reflecting off of everything and people can see it from a distance. The way you pursue God, the way you follow God is your influence. And we all know this is true because we've heard countless stories of people that have come closer to Jesus, that have become more like Jesus, that have come to faith because of the example they saw in someone else who was following after Jesus. They saw a light in them. 
that was so radiant and was so warm and was so inviting that it made them take a step towards them and therefore to Jesus because their light reflecting was the light of Christ himself in them. Maybe you're here tonight because of that. Maybe your story of faith is that I I actually came to believe in Jesus because I saw Jesus in someone else. I saw a light in them that was different from everything else I saw. And that is because genuine, unhidden faith is contagious. Genuine, unhidden faith is contagious and it draws people close to God. See, your pursuit of Jesus is light. Your devotion to God is light. And it has to be. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Isn't it interesting here that Jesus says you are the light of the world, but we also know in Scripture that Jesus himself is the light of the world? It's a lowercase l. We are the light of the world because we are reflecting the true light of the world, Christ himself. You see, we are the white limestone, and when you pursue Jesus, when you are devoted to him, when you are following after him, when you take your faith seriously and it's genuine and you're not hiding it, guess what happens when you pursue the light of the world? It reflects off of you. It reflects and bounces off of you and other people see it and they notice it and they're attracted to it. And Jesus is saying, why in the world would you hide it? Why would you hide it? See, here's a challenging question I want to ask you tonight. The question is this. Do you ever cover up the light? Do you ever hide it? Do you ever dim it? Are there places and spaces where you put a bowl over the light to dim it just a little bit? I want to use another illustration This one is a little bit more dangerous because it involves fire. Let me light this up. Daphne, would you mind turning the lights off? See? I almost, I couldn't even light the candle. Okay. Right now, it's not pitch black in here, but everyone in this room can see the light. You can see this candle. You can see the flame burning. In fact, there's something so beautiful about fire. It's, it's compelling. In fact, every one of you in this room, no matter where you're sitting, you can see the candle. You can see it. I mean, it's a small flame, but your eye can make contact with it. You see the light illuminating. You can even see it illuminating off of my hands. You are captivated by it. You know, there's something about a dark room. When you light a candle, your eyes naturally go to the fire. They naturally go to the light. Now, let me show you something. If you are to take a bowl, and if I were to put this bowl over top of the light, now, the flame is still burning. The flame is still the same, but the light is different. It's still there, but it's dimly lit. It's, it's kind of just coming out of the bottom. 
And it's not as attractive. It doesn't draw your eyes in. You can't see it. It doesn't captivate you in the same way. You might be distracted, and it's providing very little light. It's just kind of shooting out the bottom. But the flame is still the same. This is the illustration that Jesus is giving. You can turn the lights back on. Thank you. Jesus is saying that you are the light of the world. And here's what that means. The light of Christ is burning within you. He's not saying that the light in you, you can snuff out, that you can turn it off. Like you're living in such a way and you're not responding to God. You're not pursuing God in the right way. You're not devoted to him enough. And so the light of Christ within you has gone out. He doesn't say that. He says, you are the light of the world. But his warning is to not put a bowl over the light. You see, the good news of the gospel is this, that you can do nothing to turn off the light of Christ within you. You can't blow it out. You can't snuff it out. You cannot do anything. When you come to believe in Jesus, when you come to surrender to Jesus at the cross and you believe that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead and he invites you by his grace to be forgiven and freed of everything, condemnation is gone, guilt is gone, sin is gone, shame is gone, and nothing you can do, good or bad, will affect that. The light of Christ is lit within you. It is warming you, it is stirring you, it is prevalent within you. You cannot turn it off because it's not your light. It's God's light, the light of the world within you. But what you can do is you can put a bowl over it. The flame will still be the same. It's still burning, but people don't see it as much. It's dimly lit. Jesus isn't affected He's still lit within your soul, but you've covered it a little bit. And so you think to yourself, and that's because I have the light of Christ within me, but when I go to work, I put a bowl over it because I just don't want it to negatively affect my career, my faith. Or when I'm on social media, I put a bowl over it because I don't want to be misunderstood or mislabeled. Or when I go in certain friend circles, I put a bowl over the light because they're not really about that and I don't want to make things awkward. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying, put the light of Christ that is lit within you because of the gospel of grace in full display. Do not hide it in any space or any place. Take the bowl out. Let people see it because the light was given to you for that very purpose. The light of Christ, the light of the world was given to you so that others could see it. You see, when, when God illuminates our heart and when he lights that flame within us, it is for our salvation. When you come to believe Jesus and you begin to follow after him, you realize that you're forgiven. You've experienced the warming love of God and your eyes cannot detract from the beauty of Jesus. That is your salvation for him, from him, by his grace. But what can happen over time is that though that is a lit within you, you begin to just cover it at different times and different moments and you hide it. It's still lit, but you don't put it in the middle of the room so everyone can see. You certainly don't put it in a room so that people around you can see, but people far off can see. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. 
He's wanting us to know that the light that is lit within you because of the gospel of grace is not just for you. It's for other people to see. It's for other people to be attracted to. It's for other people to make eye contact with. And that's the question that I have for you. When people see you, do they see Jesus? Do they see the light of Christ within you? Do they see your devotion to God, your pursuit of God, your struggling in your faith? Are you showing it or are you covering it up? Because influence is so simple. It's not about platform. It's not about status. It's not about authority. It is about are you pursuing Christ and following after him? And are you not hiding that from people? Are you not hiding that in different spaces and places? And are you fighting the impurities of the world and believing that character matters more than competency? I want to give you two very practical things. This is what it means to realize that your influence is directly tied to these two things. You are salt and you are light. You are to realize your influence is directly tied to this. Ready? Fighting impurities, seeking to dilute the saltiness in you. It's the building and cultivation of your character. It is focusing on your speech and your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. And it is having an open and unashamed pursuit of and following after Jesus. It's letting the light of Christ shine in you no matter where you are. This is how you put God first in your influence. And you don't need a platform for it. You can use your platform for it. You can use your status and authority. But it's about letting people see that you're fighting against the impurities of the world, that character matters, and that your pursuit of following after Jesus is a lit. And people can see it. And you're not ashamed of it. And you want people to see it, in fact. I want to challenge you with two things in closing. The first is this. Would you commit to whenever you can, engaging in a practice that I think will begin to develop your character? It will begin to fight against the impurities of the world. And it will also reveal and shine the light of Christ as you pursue and follow after Jesus. And it's something really simple. And I want to invite everyone to it. And that's this. When you are able, when you are in town, when you're coming to church, would you try to show up at 4.30 and pray? We're going to launch next week pre-service prayer. And we're going to have guided prayer guides. You may say, I don't really know how to pray. We're going to have a guided prayer guide for you that you can take, you can pray by yourself, you can pray with a friend, you can pray with your spouse. We're gonna encourage people to walk outside the building, pray around the building, pray for yourself, pray for the people that come on Sunday night. Would you pray? See, my prayer this year for us is that we would be a praying church, not a church that prays. That we'd really be a praying church. Because the way that God calls us to fight against the impurities of the world and so that our saltiness is maintained and that people can see the light of Christ, and one of the chief ways is that we pray, that we talk to God. So will you do that? Will you show up early, 30 minutes before, 15 minutes before, and pray? Pray for yourself, pray for your friends, pray for the service, pray for the spirit to move, pray for God to be glorified. Maybe just don't even say anything because the Bible tells us when we don't even know what to say, the spirit prays for us. Will you pray? And secondly, 
Will you invite one person next week? Not because of anything other than you want them to hear the gospel of Jesus. And maybe they don't feel comfortable coming on Sunday night. Invite them to social hour. Invite them to a small group. Invite them to a lunch and have intentional conversation with them about your faith. Would you invite one person to engage spiritually with you in this next week? Whether you invite them to church, you invite them to an an event that we have, or you invite them to have lunch with you. Would you take up that challenge and say, who is someone that I've maybe been putting the bowl over the light of Christ? I haven't really wanted them to see it. I'm going to take the bowl off, and I'm going to let the light of Christ shine within me, and I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be influential. Because you are an influencer. It's about cultivating your character and letting Christ shine in you, wherever you are. Amen?